Friends, this is Caleb Succo, and you're listening to The Gospel Today. This is the podcast where we talk about those gospel issues that affect our life right now, but also leave an impact and have results that go into eternity. And today, friends, I want to talk with you about baptism. Baptism is really a core a core issue when we talk about the gospel, but I want to talk about just not any baptism today. I want to talk with you about John's baptism, John the Baptist, and specifically about how he baptized Jesus. I think there's a lot of confusion when it comes to this topic, and in fact, if you're confused, I think you're probably not alone. Because as we look at this text here today, we'll find out that even John was confused and at first didn't want to even baptize Jesus when he came to him. But before I get into that, let me just explain to you one of the reasons why I want to talk about the baptism of Jesus. And that is because there is a holiday which is coming up tomorrow here in Ukraine, the 19th of January, which is is called baptism. And on that holiday, thousands of faithful, or I don't know how faithful they are, but thousands of Orthodox believers will go into the frigid waters of whatever lake or whatever sea or whatever river is nearby. Some of them will cut holes into the ice and they will go for a chilly dip as they celebrate the baptism, the baptism of of John or the baptism of Jesus, however you want to call it. But that that is the, the date that historically they say that Jesus was baptized that we see uh, in the book of Mark and we see in, in Matthew as well as in the book of Luke of how Jesus came and was baptized by John. So they say it happened on January 19th. Do we know when it happened? No, we don't really know exactly when it happened, but it was a significant part uh, or, or significant start, I guess you could say, to the ministry of Jesus Christ. And and so that's how the Orthodox celebrate it. And I think over the years, it has almost become more of a, I guess, almost like a polar dip. I know that sometimes like on New Year's, people will do a polar dip. And obviously for much of the Orthodox world, uh, January 19th is a very cold day one of the coldest days of the year usually and and so it's kind of seen as this is a uh you know sort of a a a sacrifice that you can do for god uh purifying ritual and uh and especially to do it in the cold water they always have to do it outdoors i've never seen it done indoors never seen it done in like a baptistry or anything like that and, and so it almost becomes like this health ritual or something that, you know, if you are willing to go into those frigid waters, then you definitely are going to have God's blessing, which I don't think, I don't think is the way that John meant his baptism to happen. And so that's why I really wanted to talk with you about the baptism of John. And by the way, see, tomorrow... So today is the January 18th here when I'm recording this. Tomorrow's the 19th. It will be Sunday. I'm going to try and go out and see if I can find 
some beach where they are doing these baptisms and see if I can maybe get some of that up on YouTube for you as well. So uh, check our YouTube uh, channel, uh, Suko Family, or no, Caleb Suko, I think. I think a YouTube channel is just Caleb Suko. But yeah, check out our YouTube channel and uh, you might see some of those baptisms right here in Odessa, Ukraine that will be happening tomorrow, tomorrow my time on the 19th of January. Uh, and I hope, ho- anyway, hopefully I can catch some of those. By the way, I am going to be putting some new videos out just by the way. I just recorded another one last week about shipwrecked faith that will be coming out very soon. Uh, what does it mean to shipwreck your faith and what are some of the ways that people shipwreck their faith? It's a, a short uh, video, but we also did that uh, here in Odessa. We had a a ship recently that ran aground because it's its engines failed and it was a smuggling ship and so it's just sitting right here close to the beach and so really a, kind of a cool uh, setting and uh, in middle of winter we filmed it but the water is just beautiful clear looked like uh, I don't know I guess it looked like Hawaii or something but it was Odessa Ukraine and it was like uh, 31 degrees Fahrenheit when we filmed it but anyway that'll be coming out soon too on on the YouTube on our YouTube channel. Um, and, uh, okay. And then a brief update before I get into this, a brief ministry update. Actually yesterday was, uh, yesterday was Friday and actually in our church right now, we have, uh, Jews for Jesus that meet every Friday for Shabbat for Sabbath. And so I usually go about once a month and speak to that group and, I think that many of them are, are unbelievers, so it's it's really an evangelistic opportunity. And so I spoke yesterday, and there was about 20, 25 people there. And I actually spoke on this topic, the baptism of Jesus, and began in, in the book of Isaiah, and where Isaiah prophesies about the coming of John. And anyway, I, I enjoy the opportunity. Uh, it's it's a little bit different. I, I try to uh, focus on some of the specifically, you know, more Hebrew aspects of or Jewish aspects of of the scriptures as I as I speak there. I did have one guy that was kind of heckling me <laughs> yesterday, and it kind of threw me off for a little bit. But um, that's uh, I, I find that that when I speak to an unchurched audience, which is basically what this is. It's a lot different, and and frankly, I, I kind of like it because uh, they don't always have the same church expectations that that I would have you know, when I speak in a church, when I speak to people that have you know, a, a decent knowledge of Scripture. And so it's sometimes really challenging to be able to simpl- you know, try and think, how can I simplify this down, explain it in a way to somebody who maybe has never really read Scripture. But you can pray for that ministry. Uh, there's uh, a couple of families, a couple of um, uh, families that are working uh, to to share the gospel with Jews here in Odessa, which Odessa is is historically a, a very Jewish city, and historically, like I don't know how many years ago, but you know, like forty, fifty years ago, I, I think it was was like thirty percent or more Jewish, maybe even up to half. I don't know. There was a lot of Jews that lived here, and what we've seen is when communism fell, a lot of those Jews began to go to Israel or maybe other places too, I'm not sure. But it seems to me that in the past couple of years, past maybe 
maybe three or four years, I've noticed a resurgence of Jews in Odessa, that some of them are coming back. Some of them are coming back to their roots. Uh, Obviously, in Uman, we have, well, I don't know, maybe you don't know about that, but we have a big pilgrimage every year in September uh, to Uman of of Orthodox Jews. But here in Odessa, uh, we have a number of synagogues, and and it does seem like, I don't know, I kind of feel like the Jewish population is coming back a bit here, so that's a great opportunity that we can minister to and share the gospel with with uh, the Jews here in Odessa. Another opportunity that uh, I just want to share with you too is we have um, been working a little bit with some of the international students in in Odessa here. What uh, what you should know is that we have a number of schools here that bring in students from North Africa, uh, Middle East, and from Asia. And so, so we have contacts with uh, quite a few students, and and those students range from um, uh, some of them. Are, there, there are some Christians. There are Muslims. There are Catholics. There are um, Hindus. There are agnostics. And so, for instance, uh, a week ago, yeah, just a week ago on Friday, we did a special movie night for the students, and and we had. Let me think here. We had an Iraqi. We had two people from Yemen. We had, is it a, a Lebanese from uh, Libya? Someone from Libya, North Africa. We had, uh, who else did we have? Uh, we, had Niger- we had two Nigerians. We had someone from Angola. And I think we had one, two, three, four, five Indians, and 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 one Ukrainian. <laughs> we only had one Ukrainian out of that whole bunch, and so we we did a, a movie night for them. We watched this movie called "The Man Who Invented Christmas," which is a movie that came out I think a year ago about Charles Dickens and how he wrote the Christmas story, or no, what is it called? I think it's called. Uh, the uh, Christmas Carol, right? About Scrooge. So we watch that, and and what I do is then I prepare questions that go along with the film, and then we discuss it. And so we were able to discuss it and discuss it using some verses of scripture. And and what I found, and and so so for instance, you know, discussing like about things like um, fame or. Um, um, uh, the love of money, and then talking about oh, what does Jesus say about the love of money, that you cannot serve two masters. And so putting in some verses of Scripture there and talking about them in light of those Scriptures. And and I was really um, shocked and pleasantly surprised to find that even, you know, the well, actually one of the most, um, one of the most responsive to that was was a Muslim. And and so, do pray for us. We're planning to continue to do that kind of a thing, and pray that God would bless and use that as a way to be able to share the hope that we have as well. And let's see what else on the ministry front. Uh, well, two more, two things. Uh, I guess I'd like to share with you. One is that actually today Christina is at the women's. Uh, fellowship. She's leading the women's fellowship at our church, and so she has uh, been able to 
be useful in that, in helping to teach and helping to counsel some women. So appreciate your prayers for her as well as her work at the Women's Center. She continues to counsel uh, to unbelieving women there and to um, to share the gospel with them. And so great opportunities there. And also, uh, end of January, Christine and I will be heading to uh, Bucharest, Romania. For a couple of days, we're going to be doing security training there. I mean, we'll be t- taking part in that. They're going to be training us how to be secure. And then I'm going to be staying for the weekend and teaching a seminar in one of the churches there on evangelism through historical art. And that is something that we're pretty excited about. It's a new seminar that we're doing. We're going to be doing We've done it in Ukraine, but we're going to be doing it now outside of Ukraine. And this church is really excited about doing evangelism, using historical pieces of art that show biblical biblical uh, scenes and uh, explaining those scenes. And so that is going to be uh, February 1st and 2nd. So anyway, those are things that you can keep in your prayers. I also want to mention, if you are on our prayer list, and if you're not, you can just go to sukofamily.org slash pray, and I believe there is a thing there where you can sign up to get our emails. A lot of people have been asking about this young woman who wanted to be baptized in August, and um, and then her family was very against it, and all of a sudden she kind of disappeared. We didn't quite know what happened to her. So a lot of people have been asking about an update. Her name is uh, Anastasia, and and and. Honestly, I don't really have a lot to update, except that I do know that there are maybe um, one or two people in our church that have a little bit of contact with her. She seems to be going to university now, and uh, but she she is not allowed to come to church or really have uh, significant contact with the people at church. So continue to pray for her, and we believe that, that God is faithful and that if she put her faith in, in Christ, that he will be with her and that he will give her the strength to to come through this. And so we do appreciate your prayers for this young woman. And I will share with you an update if if we if there's anything significant beyond that, but it appears that she's at home and she is going to university but not allowed to have contact with with the church and and not going to church. So unfortunately that that's the situation there. That's kind of the updates for ministry-wise and uh, I want to share with you let, let's go back to what I talked about here at the beginning which is talking about baptism, the baptism of Jesus specifically. And the scripture that I think most, well, the scripture that, that really tells about that, that I want to focus on is Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17, which I'll read for you now. It says this, Then Jesus came to Galilee, to the Jordan, to John, to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So that's John, or not John, that's Matthew's account of the baptism of Jesus. And one of the interesting things in Matthew's account is that we see here that 
that that John was at first taken aback by Jesus' request to be baptized by him. And so that's why I said at the beginning, you know, it's, if, if you're a little confused of why did Jesus need to be baptized, why did he do this, well, you're not alone because I think it seems that John was a little bit confused too. He was kind of, wait a minute, I think I need to be baptized by you instead of baptizing you. And then Jesus responds to him and says, well, you know, we should do this to fulfill all righteousness. So let's think, though, for a minute about John's baptism, what it was, and and then try to understand Jesus' baptism in context of, of John's baptism. And what do we know about John's baptism? Well, we go back a little bit in this chapter, Matthew chapter 3, we see that Matthew explains it for us this way. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1, it says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going to him, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. So we see an interesting situation here. Here's John, who is clearly removed from the religious leaders of Israel in that day. He's living out in the wilderness. He is on the east side of the Jordan River. So he's, he's not even on really, you know, the, 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 the Jerusalem side of the Jordan River. He, and, and he's preaching, and instead of the people listening to the Pharisees and their teaching, they're going out, going way out of their way, and coming to John. And so it's a really a unique type of picture. But what do we know about John? Well, we know that this prophecy that Isaiah made about him, which is from Isaiah chapter 40 is really just, you know, Isaiah prophesied about John and, and said this, that he's going to be coming. So if we go back to Isaiah chapter 40, uh, Isaiah 40 verse 1 starts out with this, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her, for her warfare is ended and her iniquity is pardoned, and she has received from the Lord's hand double for her sin, all her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain shall be made low, the uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain, and all the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So that's the full prophecy from Isaiah. And obviously verse three there, where it says a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord is referring specifically to John the Baptist. And John the Baptist's job was, was to prepare this way. And what does he say? He says, the valleys uh, should be lifted up. The mountains should be brought low. The uneven ground should become level. The rough places should be smooth. And he's speaking here in this prophecy in the terms of someone who would come and prepare the way for a king to make entrance into a country or into a city. 
so that there would be no hindrances. There would be nothing that would stop him up, that would keep him from just coming straight in and straight in to the palace or the throne or the center where he can then take his rule. And so that was John's job. It was to prepare the people. And he, you know, it appears that John understood this. He knew what his job was. And and so here he comes. But we have to ask ourselves, if John's job was to, you know, take these mountains down and the valleys raise up and everything, obviously this is not speaking, uh, it's not speaking literally that John is supposed to go out and build roads. No. It's speaking of the preparation that John needed to do in the heart of man, that the hearts needed to be prepared for the coming of the Messiah. And I think that we can see that pretty clearly if, if for instance, we go to, I think it's Luke 1, 17, uh, where Luke also talks about Luke also talks about the John the Baptist, and and it says this, um, Luke chapter one sixteen, uh, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to their God, to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit of prophet the of Elijah, in the spirit and power of Elijah, and turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And, and so, so that's pretty, this is what the angel was telling, you know, Zachariah, who's going to be uh, the father of John, pretty obvious that John needed to prepare the hearts of the people. And so what was the main problem? The main problem was the hearts of the people were sinful. Isaiah talks about that over and over again. In fact, Isaiah chapter 40, as he begins that chapter, verse 1, where he says, comfort, comfort my people, sort of a turning point in the book there where he begins to talk about the salvation of God, whereas before he talked a lot about the judgment of God. But we see that mixed in throughout Isaiah's message that there is coming judgment, but there is also salvation. There is comfort for those who humble themselves, come with repentance to God. John has the same message. As John comes, he begins to say, hey, listen, the axe is at the root. Uh, it, it is. It is. God is going to judge. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He's going to separate the righteous from the unrighteous. And so, what do you need to do? You need to repent. You need to repent of your sins. And the the thing that John was doing that I think the Pharisees really didn't like was that he was baptizing these people. And we don't technically really have this kind of tradition in the Old Testament of baptism. You have some ceremonial washings, and those are washings that may have been, you know, repeated from time to time. But this is probably much more likely. It is would something that appeared more during the intertestamental time period, and it would have been considered a, a uh, proselyte baptism that is initiating the Un, or Gentiles into the Jewish faith. And so that was the thing I think that the Pharisees really abhorred and, and really got them upset was here is John who is, is living as a wild man in the wilderness. Obviously he's living kind of in the style of Elijah because he came in the spirit of Elijah, Luke tells us. But but he's he's baptizing these Jews with a proselyte baptism. 
And if you remember the Pharisees' interaction with John and then later their interaction with Jesus, they always stood on the fact that, hey, we don't need this. We have Abraham as our father. And so that was going directly against their teaching. They're teaching that we have Abraham as our father, and hey, we follow these laws. So, you know, all of these, <laughs> these laws that some of them that, that we've made up, and so we don't need, why would we need proselyte baptism? And, of course, the emphasis that, that John gives there is that this is, and, and, and it says it very clearly, that John's baptism, uh, the book of Mark says that he was baptizing, baptizing and he's preaching a baptism of repentance and the for, for the forgiveness of sins. So it was a baptism of repentance, and it symbolized the, the forgiveness of sins. And that's the thing that I really you know, want to focus on here just for a minute, that I think that's Mark uh, chapter 1, verse 4, that says that, that, uh, let me open it up here. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So John's baptism was specifically focused on not just a ceremonial thing, but as a sign and as a public declaration that the people who had heard his message were repentant and that God in response was forgiving and cleansing them of their sins. It was a baptism of repentance. And so then, okay, we can understand that, right? And as a person went forward to be baptized by John, he would it would have been clear to others, because there was, as I said, that all Jerusalem and Judea and the outlying regions, they came out. To, it would have been, he would have been making a very strong public statement that I acknowledge my sinfulness, my need for forgiveness, and I believe that God can do that. And so that would have been a strong statement to all those around. And so here, John is baptizing these repentant people, but he's not baptizing one group of people. He's not baptizing the Pharisees. Why? Because they're not repentant. And so he, and obviously they, you know, they wouldn't want to be baptized by John because that would be admitting that his message was true and would be condemning them. And and so he's not baptizing the Pharisees, and here comes, G, because they're not repentant, although they have sin, and here comes Jesus, and he wants to be baptized by John. And of course you can imagine John thinking, wait a minute. I, you know, in, in the book of John, it says, here's the Lamb of God, take away the sin of the world. You know, and John announces his coming. John had been talking a lot about the coming of the Messiah. He's been saying that this is the person whose sandals I'm not will, worthy to untie. And that he's he has a, a greater baptism, a baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, and here comes Jesus, I want to be baptized by. By you and of course yeah that seemed a little strange to john because probably first of all he's thinking well wait wait a minute jesus you you don't have sin you don't need baptism but but i do have sin and it would be better for me to be baptized by you and in a way i think this is maybe a little bit similar to the interaction with jesus and peter when jesus washes peter's feet and Peter's like, oh no, you shouldn't be doing this. I, I should be doing this for you. But here we, you know, it's kind of like the opposite, you know, it's like, wait a minute, how, why is this happening? 
But Jesus says something very interesting to uh, to John here. He says, "Let it be now, so now, for this, for thus, it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness." Remember, Jesus came and he came to fulfill the law. And he fulfilled even some of those ceremonial aspects of the law that maybe weren't even necessary for him to do because he was perfect. Uh, so, for instance, when he paid taxes, remember when he paid taxes, they said, hey, who should we pay taxes to? And he's like, hey, you know, the, the, uh, does, does the king exact taxes from his son? No. They said, yeah, but let's just go ahead and pay taxes so there will be no questions. So Jesus came and, and he fulfilled every aspect of the law. And, and here is John preaching baptism as a ceremonial, as a sign of, of what, of the purity that God gives those who put their faith in. Jesus wants to take part too because he wants to show also his agreement to John's message. And, and so I think that the part of what we see here, why Jesus did this was Jesus was confessing his agreement to John's message. He was saying, this is right. What you're preaching is right. Like think, think about what John was preaching. He says, the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus agreed with that. Of course, the kingdom of heaven was near. Jesus is that king and the king is there. Jesus was pre or John was preaching that religious hypocrisy had poisoned the nation. Well, of course, Jesus agreed with that. Jesus would go on and, and preach about that all the, all the more. Look at Matthew chapter 23, a whole chapter about the Pharisees and their hypocrisy. John was preaching that it's not enough to, to be a son of Abraham. You need to repent and have a renewed heart. You need heart purification. Jesus would go on to preach the same thing. And he would tell the Pharisees, hey, if God wants to, he can raise up children of Abraham from these rocks here. You need to have faith to be the true sons and daughters of Abraham and not just be born that way. And, of course, Jesus agreed with John that God would judge those who did not repent. And finally, Jesus agreed with John that, there, that he was going to give a new and greater baptism with the Holy Spirit. And so... I think that in that way we see baptism and baptism has always been seen as as a public declaration of, of of agreement with whatever is being taught and and so here Jesus is saying yeah I do agree with you John he wasn't being baptized for the forgiveness of his own sins obviously he didn't have any but he was fulfilling righteousness he was he was showing what was right and he was agreeing with what was right. And, and I think another way that we can look at why Jesus was baptized here was that, that it was an inauguration of his ministry. And Luke tells us in, in, in his gospel, Jesus says that, that John came as Elijah. What, what do you have with Elijah? You have Elijah who passed on his, his, his spirit in a greater way to Elisha. And in a way, you have something similar happening here, except that Jesus is far greater than Elisha. But you have John as being the center point and the one that everyone was going to. And then along comes Jesus and John says, hey, 
okay, things need to be focused on him now. He is far greater than I am. And what's interesting is that even Jesus says that John, there was no greater born among women than, than John. And certainly, if you look at, at the Old Testament, Elijah was generally considered the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. And then along comes John, and it says that, that there was no greater than he. And, and what's interesting is that we don't have any record of John performing any kind of miracles. So you think, why was he so great? And I think that maybe one of the reasons why he was so great was just because he had that opportunity to specifically prepare the people for the coming of the Messiah. And it appears that there was a, a good response to his ministry as well. And so what's interesting is that you have Jesus even confessing how great John is, but yet John himself says, I am not even worthy to tie his sandals. And so... According to John's confession, Jesus is, he's out of the realm of even a normal, or even, a, you know, a normal great human prophet. There's, he's, he's, he's far above the level of John, who was considered the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. And so here, John, who the focus was on him before Jesus shows up, He's sort of um, inaugurating Jesus into his new ministry. And in fact, if you look specifically at Matthew, Matthew talks more about Jesus coming as a king. And even John talks about that. He says the kingdom of heaven is drawn near. And so this, you can really see that this is some sort of an inauguration. In fact, if you look at the Old Testament, you see several occasions in the Old Testament, Samuel and I think a couple other prophets, Elijah, I think, in fact, where, where actually the prophets, one of the jobs of the prophet was to inaugurate the new king. Obviously, Samuel inaugurated um, Saul and David. I think uh, Elijah also went and inaugurated. I don't remember who it was. But, but that was one of the jobs of the prophets. And so, so that would have been understood by the people also. So it was, it was uh, in a way, inauguration of Jesus into his ministry as a king coming into, into the hearts of the people. And, and that would also correspond with Isaiah chapter 40 talking about, hey, here's this king that is coming. And then another thing that we see here is that this is a prophetic sign of his coming sacrifice on the cross for our sins. Anything about it, did Jesus really need, I mean, did Jesus need to be baptized? Could he not have ministered without, no, he didn't need it. He was already perfect, obviously. His baptism didn't give him like any more strength or something like that. It didn't move him to a new level spiritually or anything. Just as with pretty much all things that Jesus did while he was here on earth, he did it not for himself because he needed to do it for himself. He did it for those who were watching. He did it for us. And and this was certainly a very strong picture of what would happen just three years, three years or so later when Jesus would die on the cross. And later when we see Christian baptism instituted in the book of Acts, we see the Christian baptism looks back to Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection on the cross and is a picture of that. This was a prophetic picture of that, looking forward to Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. Jesus didn't need to die on the cross for himself. He did it for us. In the same way, he didn't need to really be baptized. He did it 
for us, and this was a prophetic sign showing what would happen to him just a few years later. And the last thing I want to mention here to, to point out is that his baptism was a, a supernatural confirmation of his deity and of his perfection. We see that in verses 16 and 17 where it says, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. You couldn't get really any clearer than that, could you? Of Jesus' deity, that he is coming directly from God, and of his perfection, with whom I am well pleased. He didn't say, God didn't say, this is an amazing prophet who now I forgive his sins. No, he said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Jesus is God and Jesus is perfect. And if we think about that in the context of John's baptism, that would have been an amazing sign for maybe thousands of people who had gathered on the banks of the Jordan River. And they would have all understood that Jesus was not being baptized as repentance for the forgiveness of his own sin. First of all, because they saw John's hesitation and secondly, because they heard the father's declaration that this was his son and that he was well pleased with him. And of course, they probably already knew all of the things that John had said about Jesus before. In fact, John, the book of the gospel of John tells us that John the Baptist came as a witness. So one of his, his main tasks was to witness, to point out and to tell people who the Messiah was. Whereas uh, Luke, uh, it, or if we go to the book uh, in, in Matthew, we see uh, Jesus being more inaugurated as a king. And in Luke, we see this, this baptism really coming more as the idea of a prophet here, or John is a prophet saying, this is the Christ. Uh, but I think that as we look at Jesus' baptism, it it is also an example to us. An example that he just shows his humility, his readiness to obey. And we can look at that and think, you know, if, if baptism was that important to Jesus, it ought to be important in our churches today. We shouldn't take it lightly. I think it should be something that we emphasize. And I think that we should do it in a way that is public. And that is clearly proclaiming our faith. I mean, look at Jesus' baptism. Obviously, our baptism, Christian baptism, is a little bit different. But like I said, it's looking back on Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. But it is also the same in the fact that even in Christian baptism, we are proclaiming 
our agreement and our faith and our belief in the message of the gospel that has been preached to us. And so because of that, it needs to be a public thing. And and it needs to clearly uh, clearly showcase what what we believe and 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 maybe why we believe it as well. So baptism, I think, is is still a, a vital and important aspect of our church today. And I think it's also important because it helps us to see clearly, clearly who believes and who doesn't. And so if, 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 if people say, oh, you know, what's, what's, what's the point of baptism? It's not really any big deal. It's kind of like saying, hey, yeah, you know, I, I want to, uh, I'd like to have a wife, but what's the point of having a, a wedding ceremony? You know, it's not really a big deal. It is a big deal because that's really what just puts the stamp on it and lets everybody know that, okay, you have committed to this person, this person has committed to you, and that's how you're going to live your life now. And so the same with baptism as well. But what is not, baptism is not just sort of a health um procedure as I think it uh, sometimes happens in the Orthodox Church on January 19th. It's also not something that would, you know, say, uh, help you to or, or give you the next level in your spirituality. In fact, if anything, it's really a sign of what has already happened in your heart. And, but that doesn't lessen its importance. It still is important today. All right. Uh, so, Jesus' baptism, uh, I hope that helps to explain some of those things for you. I want to share with you a couple of resources that I have found helpful, and two books, and one is called Believer's Baptism, Sign of the New Covenant in Christ by Thomas Schreiner and Sean D. Wright. This is a pretty comprehensive book that goes into detail uh, about some of the history uh, and you can also uh, and, and and some of the different teachings uh, on baptism uh, but I would specifically recommend let's see what chapter is it um, oh yeah well actually the first the first chapter baptism in the Gospels he goes into John's baptism talks about John's baptism a little bit um, but also, he talks a little bit about the practice of pedo-baptism and, and, and really focuses on unbelievers' baptism and why that's important and why we believe that. So recommend that book, uh, Believers' Baptism. The other book that I would recommend that I've found interesting in a little bit of a different light, and it is called Do Not Hinder Them by Justin Peters, A Biblical Examination of Childhood Conversion. And this goes into the the topic of baptism in the sense of what age is appropriate to baptize. And I find that he, he comes to an inter interesting conclusion, and uh, I like some of his thinking in it. I'm not sure I'm completely agreed with, with everything there, but I think it's worth the read. In the end, basically, he comes to conclusion that uh, he would give it serious thought if he was asked to baptize anyone under the age of 18. 
so he probably wouldn't baptize anyone under the age of 18. But anyway, take a look at that. I think it kind of it does hit on some problems, I think, especially in the evangelical church when it comes to baptizing very young children and in churches that don't believe in pedo-baptism. I guess that's a, another subject, uh, but are baptizing children that might be six or seven years old. So I'll put links to that in the show notes on our website, sukofamily.org. That's called Do Not Hinder Them by Justin Peters, an examination, a biblical examination of childhood converse, conversion. All right, friends, thank you for listening to the Gospel Today podcast. You can find this podcast on iTunes or google podcasts or any kind of podcast application for android appreciate if you subscribe there you can also go to our website superfamily.org and find the podcast and appreciate if you leave a review also if you have any questions please let me know i would love to hear your questions and you can send me those questions by going to superfamily.org slash ask superfamily.org slash ASK. Again, we thank you for your prayers for us. For those of you who support us financially, that is what allows us to stay in Ukraine. Focus on the gospel ministry here, which is the greatest pleasure and privilege in our life to serve Lord Jesus Christ here in Ukraine and be able to share the hope that we have with others. All right, friends, until next time, be blessed.